Welcome to the Impactful Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Clark. For the last decade, I've had the privilege of learning from impactful leaders across the globe through my service in the Peace Corps and nonprofits. Their leadership has inspired me to highlight those among us who are truly impacting our world so that we may learn from them and be more impactful together. Yes, leadership can be learned. The guests on our show are providing direction, inspiration, and leading the way in their business and community through service. Are you ready to have an impact? Welcome to the Impactful Leaders Podcast. So Leslie, thank you for showing up today. I'm so excited to speak with you. We, I think you're our first author that we've had on too. That's exciting. Yeah. So, and this is also a special one. So this will be the 30th. Um, that's why I'm happy to have you because we're in the Gwinnett Young Professionals Leadership Program. So I'm happy that you're here. Um, Leslie, you do a ton. You work with Amazon. You're some sort of an entrepreneur. You're an author. So it's like, what do you want to share about yourself a little bit first? And then we're going to dive into the book and the publishing, Cam's Den Publishing. Um, and then we'll go from there. Awesome. So thank you, Andrew, for having me. I'm super excited. I saw your post and I was like, let me let me shoot my shot. Like you're doing great stuff. I've admired the people that you've had on here previously. So I was like, how do I get to be in this special club, so to speak? So thank you again for having me. But I, I'm a jack of all trades. Like I come from a family of entrepreneurship. Like my mom has her hand in so many different things. So I think I've seen that, well, her and my dad. So I've seen that growing up. And so I think that seed has just always been planted. And I think some of the foundational pieces is that why I did choose to kind of pursue engineering was I knew that I wanted more from like the everyday nine to Mm -hmm. five and I needed something to fund that. And so I don't necessarily come from a trust fund or anything like that. So I know a lot of times some people do get a leg up on different things, but I've kind of had to get it from the ground up. And so I enjoy my nine to five working with Amazon and the challenges that comes with it. And also the benefits that is able to fund some of my extracurricular activities or some of the businesses that I've decided to kind of go into. So it is kind of full circle, but me outside of I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I love life. I love all kinds of different things. And I just, I'm very, I'm a very passionate person and I put a hundred percent in everything that I do. So happy to be here to share all the different things that I've been working on. And then, so what kind of entrepreneurs were your parents? Were they? They've done everything. So my mom used to have a daycare when I was in high school where I worked at and she actually employed my friends for a while. And we helped out with that. They currently have like an Airbnb. They've been buying other kind of rental properties within the area in Florida where they are. They're looking into potentially some other businesses, some franchises currently. So they've always done something. There's always something going on down there. And then when you were growing up, was this like from when you were a baby through high school? Did it start halfway through? Um, I would say it probably, at least the entrepreneurial aspect probably started when I was like late middle school, high school. But even from like my uncles and my grandfather, all of them have had their own businesses, whether it's uh, trucking, they just all, I've always been their own boss. So that's what I've wow. always been surrounded by and have seen since I've been young. What's the big thing that you think from your parents that you picked up? Like, were they intentional about trying to teach you about entrepreneurship or was it just you viewing (laughs) them and you just soaking it in and stealing whatever you saw? 
No, I def I don't think they I saw it. And so I think it was almost like osmosis. And I always give my parents a, a hard time because I was one of those people who went to college and got a credit card and maxed it out. And I was like, no one taught me about money finances. I knew like my parents handled everything and like my dad balanced all the books, but they didn't weren't very active in like that communication. And so I did, I was like, hey, you guys got to talk about this stuff because I had to find out the hard way. Yep. Um, and I learned very quickly, but I knew how it ran, but I didn't know the inner workings. And so I do think some kind, sometimes when you have those family dynamics, you're, you know that your parents are taking care of everything. When I ask for something, I get it. I know there's a money transaction, but I don't know kind of like the behind the scenes action within that. But I did see the different things that they had their hands in, what they were doing from a financial standpoint, but my dad kind of like leading the forefront of it. But um, it was, it's osmosis. I think it's just being around it and seeing it and seeing that it worked. And then now that I'm older and I can ask those questions, I'm starting to say like, oh, well, this is what you guys are doing. Cause I had no idea. I was reaping the benefits, but I had no idea. Yeah. And then you mentioned right there, you had, you had no knowledge about like finances, all of that entails. So like, how did you get into that? Like, how did you get yourself out of that hole. How did you learn about finances? And we'll get into the books, but your first book was like the ABCs of the stock market. Mm -hmm. So it's yes. like, this is probably how you started into that, which led there. Cause it's like absolutely a thing to dive into. Yeah. So I got out of that hole by my parents. <laughs> so they actually, okay. they were like, Hey, this is a lesson. I'm in college. I'm broke. I didn't have a job. So I don't know how I was going to pay that credit card. And knowing, learning that lesson of paying your minimum payment is not, you're going to end up paying more than what you're going to pay in the long mm -hmm. run. So they were able to settle that for me. And again, that was an eye opener. Like, Hey, when you're making a transaction, they're going to want their money eventually. Like, yes, it's good that you have all these clothes and stuff now and all the things you're buying, but someone's coming knocking to retrieve that money at the end of the month. So that was a lesson that I learned. And so I had to put it on myself because at the, you still think there's a generational gap. So my parents, although they were entrepreneurs, they were still a little bit more conservative in what they're doing. And so, yes, they have 401ks and they have financial advisors that's telling them what to do, but they weren't dabbling in the stock market or anything like that. And I think mm. as I you know, grew up and created friendships or relationships with other people, I learned from them. So um, the ABCs of the stock market book is actually was inspired by one of my friends, Josh, and he's actually an entrepreneur himself. He has started his own company and um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but he's a software engineer. And so it's somewhere in that wheelhouse and it's doing great. And, but he is a stock like guru. So we held Zooms, especially like kind of during COVID and things of that nature, because I knew he had a knowledge base that I wanted to share with a lot of different people. And I've learned that a lot of young people um, even especially like in the minority community, they're afraid of the stock market because they're unfamiliar with it. And mm -hmm. so I took it upon myself to say, well, here's the ABCs of the stock market. These are all the terms, some of the kind of concepts so that you can familiarize yourself with them. And then hopefully I plant that seed. And from there, maybe you can build on that. You know, YouTube, they have all these Instagram pages where everybody's kind of selling products on how to like learn the stock market. And they're just asking people because there are little gurus around us or among us who have all this information and who are open to sharing like my friend Josh. So he pretty much inspired that. And it was the key of like ownership. So we are, I don't know what your favorite brand is, but like maybe you like Apple, like you're always buying yep. a new iPhone. You can own stock in Apple. Like you can get dividends and get paid out for some of the things that 
we splurge on on a regular basis and it's ownership and teaching it at a younger age. So the book is based on, well, my target audience is like fifth grade and above. So we're not discriminating because that's why I put beginners. It can be a 60 year old person. It can be a 30 year old, wherever you want to start. But my focus was on kids because I want to start that conversation young, but it's a free for all. Like if you are a beginner and you want to like get your, your feet wet, the book is for everyone. How did you break down those concepts to, to that level? I mean, it takes a lot of time. Like it's not an easy thing to, to do. It, it's not. And so I think, especially because the stock market is kind of finicky where I, I was like, it's ABC is A to Z. And some of the terms are not necessarily applicable. So I had to get creative with some of the things that I, I use and put into the book. But I started off with just like a generic search on like some of the words and some of the Zooms that we had, of course, with my, my friend group, with the, ter- mm-hmm. the terms and the concepts that we were kind of concerned about or didn't know much about. So I started there. And then the letters that were kind of still out and about, I was like, we have the internet at our fingertips. We have YouTube. So I'm like, let me search and see where it's applicable. So I was learning in real time because I'm like, how am I going to come up with an X? Where is an X? Like, where is that coming from? Where is and so I was able to kind of put that together. And then, like I said, I, when I had my first draft, it's power of networking relationships. That's kind of like the key trend of like my whole life and how I've been successful and kind of achieved a lot of things. I was like, Josh, can you take a look at this? Like, do you think these are the most impor- important terms or yeah. things that will benefit the audience that will be, you know, will potentially be reading this book? And so I did about three or four drafts with him kind of going over it and seeing until we got to a good point where I was like, okay, it's ready. Let's go ahead and push it out there. I love that. I mean, I love that you're talking about the networking too, because I don't know the exact quote, but they say, if you hang, it's all about who you surround yourself with. And it's like that famous quote, if you're making $10,000 a month, you think that's great until you see a bunch of people making a hundred thousand, you hang <laughs> exactly. around them and it becomes easier. So that kind of works perfectly there. Yes. Um, was there anything else that kind of pushed you to write a book? Because it's sort of a unique thing to get into, especially in like you and I grew up. I was in middle school when technology really started pushing Same. forward. So like, why specifically a book? Why not YouTube? Why not any sort of other platform, I guess, like a blog or a website? And that's a great question. And I think I'm old school, I guess. I really like books. I like to thumb through and feel the pages. So, and Mm -hmm. I'm an avid reader myself. So it only made sense for me to go back to that standpoint. And I also feel like that's not my, I love to talk. I'm a talker, but I'll take you for example, like you're editing these podcasts. You are, you know, there's a lot that goes into behind the scenes. Like, yes, people are hitting play and listening to what you're doing, Andrew, but you're editing, you're clipping, you know, you're trying to make people look good. And I don't, that's not my passion. Like I I understand where my weaknesses lie and that's not it. Like even me working from home, I miss having IT like within arm's reach. Like if my computer goes down, I'm, I'm done for the day. Like somebody help me. So that's not my strong suit. So I didn't want to put it in a platform where, And again, you have to do more than one episode and people want things. And then, you know, it's that interaction with your audience base where I didn't want to fall short. And I knew that with a book, I can at least give them enough. And then maybe, and people have been asking like, okay, you've given us a foundation. Can we get a practical book? Like, can you get some examples? And that's something that we're talking about, but I wanted to build upon it from that standpoint where even if you can go back to it, 
Lord forbid the internet crashes, where's your videos? You can always go and have this book and go back to it. So that I think that's where kind of those humble beginnings are like, I like to touch pages. I'm now dabbling into audiobooks like myself, just because I'm super busy and I can listen to it while I'm driving. But mm -hmm. there is nothing like curling up and reading through a book. That I just I that's my that's my thing. <laughs> no, and especially with audiobooks too. If you are trying to lean towards kids, I don't think a kid's going to be building with yeah. Legos and then listening to an audiobook per <laughs> <Yeah>. se. <laughs> so when not. it comes to the book, have you found it's been challenging to not sell it, but kind of geared it towards kids? Or are you trying to do like what they do with cereal boxes and they're more marketing it towards the parent trying and then the parent is the one delivering the message or is it yes. more for the kids to kind of look at it themselves like what's no, your I, thought there yeah no so I think the marketing what we've done thus far is to market it to the adults yeah. and hoping that they are that bridge or that gap with the kids because of course at that age the agent I'm targeting they don't have access to any money so they're not going on Amazon and they're not purchasing the book so my intent is to spark the knowledge base and it can be a partnership like for your parent or your household, if they're learning, bring your kids into the table and have them learn with you. And you guys can kind of dissect and read the book together. So that is something that can kind of bring some families together as well. But I'm marketing to teachers, you know, to anyone that has an organization that caters to kids or like financial literacy, things of that nature, which is being ran by adults. So trying to get them to see the value in starting it at a young age. Because yeah. a lot of times they don't want to plant that seed. Like they should, they're playing with Legos, you know, Roblox and Fortnite and all this other kind of stuff. And that's <laughs> what their attention is based on right now. But I really, even with my, when I was in high school, like I would have loved to have a financial literacy class. I would have loved for them to talk about taxes and all kind of stuff. And, you know, things that they didn't harp on that we had to sometimes learn the hard way. So why not get that curriculum to them early? And then they can make the decision on whether yeah. they want to pursue it or not. But at least they don't have to be 30 and like, oh my goodness, my 401k, they're asking me to diversify my portfolio. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, the, oh, I remember when I read this book when I was in sixth grade or seventh grade, yeah. let me go back or X, Y, Z. So we're just trying to start the conversation a lot earlier, especially with inflation. Like some your regular nine to five paycheck is not enough these days. They're just not. And so you have to make sure like you have diverse streams of income and the stock market is a very easy way to dabble. You have apps like Robinhood and Webull for like the beginners before you get to like your E-Trades and your Morgan Stanley's and XYZ, you can dabble. You can take a hundred dollars. I've seen people take a hundred dollars and grow it. And, you know, they get birthday money. They get all kind of things like that. They have these like new, you know, um, young debit cards like green dot and stuff mm -hmm. like that is trying to teach you know that financial responsibility and let's take it to that next level yeah no and then are you familiar with the guy that does the glitter bombs or like the squirrel olympics on youtube mm -mm. he he would make videos someone stole his package <laughs> off his porch and then so he made a contraption where it's like a box and then when you open it up it has a thing that splits spits oh, wow. glitter all over the place but he used to work with NASA. He worked with Apple and now he just does YouTube videos. And it was a way for him when he's doing all these weird videos, whether it's like trying to put us an egg almost on the border of like the atmosphere and then you drop it and see if he can make it survive. It's he's now coming out with a company where he 
puts things in a box and then it gets delivered to kids and then they get to build oh, wow. alongside. So I'll have to share it with you. But it's That's more to awesome. share like the STEM side of things of but making it fun. And then you can watch his YouTube videos because he's all about like engineering. He worked with NASA. He helps put the thing on Mars, the the rover. But I wonder if like the second book to make it more engaging, something like that, where like That'd maybe not idea. Monopoly. Have some kind like of the, package that they can go to or even maybe give them comes a with stock the or something almost. that they can share. Like in very inner, I like that. That's a good idea. Yeah, something you're, putting that me, comes, you're putting me to work, Andrew. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like Monopoly. That's kind of the first time we ever get experience with money, buying yeah. something and then finding ourselves in a hole and then like, shoot, what am I going to do? Um, yeah, now my brain is going too because it's one of those <laughs> things on how do you get kids engaged in something that isn't necessarily like like sexy or cool yeah it's not and money at fifth grade it's one of those hard things it is maybe try to figure out a way to do like some lunch money or how do you get because nowadays yeah. lunch is even fancy like you can buy pizza and mcdonald's and they're <laughs> delivering all kind of stuff like how many happy meals can you get at lunch if you you know invest this money <laughs> yeah and then so that was your first book your second book deals more with um, it's in a blended families series. Yes. Um, what kind of prompted that book? I mean, it's one of those ones where it can, it shouldn't be difficult for people to read, but it's one of those ones where it can be a little bit more difficult to market and all that other stuff. So like what prompted you to write that? And well, even a series, cause it's not just one book, it's a series of them. Mm -hmm. So how did you get there? And then what brought that up to be? Okay. So honestly, like just going backwards, like the blended mm -hmm. family series was supposed to be the main, the first book that kind of came across. And it was just that me recently dabbling in the stock market and being connected with those individuals, I decided to go with that book as well. But the blended families was something that I've always been passionate about. Like I am a product of a blended family. I have an older sister who has a different mom, I'm married. My husband is a product of a blended family, and we currently have a blended family. I have a lot of friends that have blended families, and I think there's just not a lot of literature or positive, I would say, um, visuals out there for people who are going through what we're going through. And I say that not that it's like something that's super hard, but blended families can be looked at like a taboo subject at times yeah. like people look at like oh you have another child like how does that work like and then you know you'll be on twitter you know twitter always has these debates like they'll never date a man or a woman without a child but if we look at it from a reality standpoint if you're still single by 35 40 like there's a possibility that your partner has another child or was, was married and divorced and you know these children are innocent and i think it's almost like i got inspired maybe from like the chicken noodle soup for the soul like i used to read that when i was little <laughs> And so it's kind of reinforcement. And so the first two books as part of the blended family series is kind of focused on that sibling relationship. Like the kids are innocent. They, they didn't ask to be put in here. They have sisters or brothers in different households and they just want to love on their sister and brother. That's point blank period. And a lot of times the blended families become complicated because of the adults. Like the adults can't put their feelings aside. They can't compromise. They can't effectively co-parent and the kids ultimately suffer at the end of the day. And so I'm hoping that not only will the books, because these are written at a, a like a, a lower level, so it is for the kids that they can read along and read the book themselves, mm -hmm. but for the younger kids who can't and are trying to understand the concept of blended families, I'm hoping that the adults will read the book and realize 
because I have some little nuggets in there too. I didn't kind of do the Pixar thing where it was actually written for adults, but they can see that, hey, you know, maybe I am part of the problem. Like, why would I want to prevent my kids from seeing their half-sister bonus set, whatever you decide to, whatever name that you use, why would you want to step in between that? So that's right. kind of what my focus is. And I also kind of wanted to gear. And so um, there's, it, like I said, it's a series. So there's other books to come. And I want to kind of talk on the different subject matters that blended families kind of have. You'll have two Christmases. Like the Santa visit them twice. Like sometimes they visit, they summers with my dad or summers with my mom or, hey, what does this look like? You know, because they'll have double holidays. They have two birthday parties sometime. Um, there's different things where, hey, I missed my sister's, you know, big sporting event because I had something. And when you don't live in the same household, schedules become conflicted. And a lot of times these kids kind of internalize that. And we really don't know that they are until they've, they've grown up. And you look back and you're like, oh my goodness, like I missed out on a lot of different things. And they grow to either resent their parents or other things of that nature because they didn't have anything to kind of walk them through. So I'm hoping that these books can serve as that kind of compass or guiding light to help the kids, but also possibly have the adults open their eyes to see that they need to step back a little bit and let the family kind of go and be fluid. And it won't always be rainbows and sugars. It's not perfect at all. But if you can, if you decide to put the kids first and I'm actually in like a Toastmasters club and one of the ladies who's one of our founding members is uh, from a blended family and she did a speech on it and she said like her model as she was growing up or you know interacting with this, this blended family was choose not to be offended because a lot of times it's our own personal feelings and so sometimes you're going to do something and put your best foot forward and it doesn't land you can't be offended you know sometimes you're not going to be included in everything because that child has his own mother that child has his own father like there's just going to be certain things where Kids are hormonal. They're going to go through stuff and then they're going to hate you or you're going to be the best person in the world. Choose not to be offended because it's just a roadblock. They'll get over it eventually and things will kind of be or the chips will lay as they will. But um, that's kind of like the premise of that and how I kind of came about for writing those books. I feel like we have the definition of that. The other thing I probably should have had you do before that is I think a lot of people when they hear of blended families, they're thinking like either race or like ethnicity kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Could you define like what else includes a, a blended family? Like you already talked about whether it's like step or half, but could you elaborate a little yes. bit more on that? So, and I, again, I don't have the, my definition of a blended family is potentially, it could be a foster family because you're yeah. blending family. It can be um, a child from a previous relationship. And then, you know, you have your own children. So now the kids are blended. Um, it could be a mixed race family. And that's a new, that could be an ex extra excerpt on the blend because I didn't even think about it from that standpoint, but that could be viewed as a blended family as well. Uh, but that was my big, the main concept was kids from previous relationships being brought together um, in a blended family, as well as like the foster care. Our foster families are even when you're adopting a kid that could be considered a blended family as well. Yeah. When you are putting your own like life nuggets in like your own, like, I'm sure it's not a hundred percent, just your experiences, you reached out to other people, et cetera. But when you're putting your own stuff in there, do you reach out to the people in your family and be like, hey, is it okay if I share X, Y, Z? No, but I probably gonna... should. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. Um, I haven't gotten too deep in it. So like really okay. it, it hasn't gotten to the weeds, but I do want to build upon that because um, 
you know, sometimes experience is the best teacher. And like I said, I'm still, and I've grew up in a blended family, but this mm-hmm. is my first time actually having my own where, you know, I have a daughter and now I've, you know, my husband just had my son. So that dynamic, but the, the fuel for that is seeing them together. Now, my son, he's a mama's boy. He loves me, but he loves his sister. <laughs> and when I say loves his sister, it is ridiculous. Um, their dynamic is almost to the point where they're, they're screaming, they're bouncing off. She walks in the room and his whole world vision shifts. Like, who, mom, who? Like, I want my sister. Like, and I honestly, even with the first year of him being alive, like, I don't make it without her. Like, she was what, the epitome of a big sister. And so, that is just positive reinforcement for me every day that I would never do anything to, to intervene with that relationship. I am a small piece in the puzzle of that dynamic because even after I'm long and gone, they have each other and they're going to always have each other as they're going through life. And, and we all know that our parents are always the bad guys eventually. He's not going to come to me. He's going to come to his sister. <laughs> and I want him to have unlimited access to her at all times and vice versa. And her to know that there's always an open door policy that she can come and see her brother and do whatever with her brother whenever she wants to and so they've kind of fueled that because I've always wanted to do it but actually seeing it and kind of having that blended family actually materialize in that sibling relationship is why the first two books are about that sibling relationship do you in your books do you talk about you mentioned that you talked about a lot of the positive benefits of it do you ever are there not that there are negatives but do you ever touch on the difficultness of it? Like, do you ever show the, when things don't go right or are you just really painting the picture of? No, I put, I put some, so in the first book, because it focuses on sibling relationship, I do talk about the time that passes because they don't see each other all the time. So I, I show them being sad because at the end of the weekend, the other sibling has to go home and, you know, time will pass and I want to play with my brother and I'm looking at thinking about the memories and the fun that we've had. And then they kind of reconvene. And that's something that we deal with every day. So, you know, we had, you know, my daughter up until Christmas. And then Mm -hmm. she went with her back to her mom. And so I haven't seen her for like almost two weeks. We get her this weekend. So I'm excited. Like that's a long time. And so my son hasn't seen her either. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that when she gets here tonight, it's going to be a whole party. Like it's going to be screaming and laughing and joking and all kinds of stuff because we haven't seen her in a while. And he hasn't been in this, I think since he's been born, this is probably the longest time period, but that's that split scheduling where we're splitting holidays and, you know, we get her up till Christmas. And then after Christmas afternoon, she goes and she spends Christmas with her mom's side. So those are the different kind of, I wouldn't call it a difficulty per se, but that is something that the kids experience because they don't have, you know, that 24 seven access to their sibling as they would if they were from the same parent. So I do touch on that briefly. And I do want to touch on some more of the difficulties as the series matures and the other books come out. Yeah. What I mean, you already mentioned some of the tips, like just let let them be, let them have their families. But what are some of the other things that you think parents overlook in these in these blended situations? I mean, they're getting their own personal feelings attached. That's one. Yes. I think communication is super key. And I think that's with any relationship is when you're feeling this way, making sure that you communicate, because a lot of times we're not seeing it from the standpoint of that parent. And then also understanding that the parent that has gone on to build this new family is also struggling. And they're trying to also divide their time to make sure that the child that doesn't now live underneath their roof doesn't feel slighted. 
doesn't feel neglected. And so you have to give some grace on both sides. Um, a lot of times communication can kind of heal that or at least address it. And it won't always be an answer or a solution that you 100% agree with. And I think that just comes with the commitment to a blended family. And I always tell people that blended families are not for everybody. They're not. And if you know that it's not for you, don't do it. Like, do not set yourself up because it is a very selfless, it is a very thankless job sometimes. And I think parenting in general, it is because kids are sometimes, you think you're doing the best job and they're like, thanks. And you're like, what? <laughs> um, you're like, I just poured out my whole heart. That's all you have for me. So again, if you are unwilling or you don't think you have it in it to love another child as if they're yours or even sometimes more because you're kind of over, not necessarily overcompensating, but you're bringing in another child where you don't want them to feel like they're, they are second or half or X, Y, Z. Like, no, you are a part of this family. So anything that we do, whether it's family pictures, it, we don't do it without my daughter. Like that's, it's a non-negotiable for me. You know what I'm saying? And that, I yeah. think that's why me and my husband got married. And I don't think it would have worked if that wasn't my mindset but I've seen successful blended families because I come from one and so it wasn't a foreign concept to me but you know I've seen other folks get in these blended families and it doesn't work because either they have their own child and then the attention shifts because it used to be all about the, the their blended child and now they have their own child and they're battling with how to split it and I think like if you just go forward with just love and treating that child as if they were yours it kind of eliminates all of that extra stuff but it is not for everybody. It is not for the faint of heart <laughs> at all. Yeah. How do you know though? Like I can imagine trying to think of how to word it. I, when it comes to like adopting, for example, mm -hmm. there's lots of people that think they can be parents or they want to be a parent. And then once it happens, or even if they get pregnant and they plan it out and they think they want to be it and then it comes and then you're like, oh, shit. yeah. Like, yeah. Like you never me. prepare for that. So how do you, I, it's tough where you have your partner who may have their own child or you have yours, whatever the situation is, and you think it can work and you want it to work. But then once that honeymoon phase goes away, there's a number of different things. Like what are, how can someone at least, I don't think you can answer this. I don't think you can, but what are some tips that you think that people can do in order to sort of, I don't want to say test the waters, but at least maybe have a better idea or yeah. at least what are some questions they should ask themselves truthfully to kind of get to that point. Cause again, a lot of people I think will say, yeah, I I'm up for it. Especially yeah. if you're at the beginning phase, you're like, I'm going to, I'll love your child. I'll love this. I'll do this, this, and this, but give it six months, a year. I think you got to communicate. And I think we, even when you're dating, so like a lot of people like are anti living with each other before they get mm -hmm. married you have to, you have to vet it. You have to test the waters. You got to see like, if this person steps out of their clothes by the bed, like, am I going to kill myself or want to, you know, hurt them? Like, I don't know. So I think that comes with that standpoint at the same time, like being very open and honest about what you want. And a lot of times blended families don't succeed because there's a lack of resentment or a lack of communication that leads to resentment. So if you communicate about the schedules, if you communicate about X, Y, Z, because a lot of times it's, personal insecurity, like, oh, if they're overly communicating or co-parenting, they still want this person or there's something still there or I'm I'm insecure or jealous that maybe they may leave me and go and be a happy family together. And I think that comes with us being human, but also mm -hmm. communicating like, hey, 
I feel this type of way when you do this. Can we figure a way out so that everybody feels respected in this in this situation? And if the partner's like, no, this is a non-negotiable, like that's their mother or that's their father, and this is how it's going to go, you have you have a the ability to bow out and say, you know what, that's not for me. Yeah. And I don't think I can do that. But like to your point, you won't know until you kind of know. And I think it used to owe it to yourself to just to be very vocal. Like, hey, I've never done this before. I really like you as a person and your child is innocent and I want to your package deal and give it. I mean, and if that person is just as stellar, know that the child comes from them. So they are too. And mm-hmm. give them that grace and try to work it out. And if it doesn't work out, don't feel any kind of animosity or anything like that. Just for yourself, like just leave because the only person that ends up suffering is the child because you're both going to get attached. And as a bonus parent, you have no rights to that child. And I see a lot of people get in these relationships sometimes with blended families and they stay for the children because a lot of relationships sometimes stay for the child and they get so attached and the relationship with the adults have been, you know, that ship has sailed and they don't want to leave the child. And then you're like, you don't have visitation. Like this isn't your child. And so it's heartbreaking. So that's why I say there's, there's multiple sides to the coin when you're dealing with blended families, but I'm hoping to kind of start the conversation, put some positive, you know, and healthy examples out there because it can work. It can. Do you think that's your main goal when it comes to these books? It is. I really do. I want to reach people. And like I said, I'm in a lot of Facebook groups like bonus moms and XYZ. And I hear horror stories and I'm like, oh, I'm so blessed that I don't have those. Like we don't have those, um, some of those extreme cases, um, but it, it, it's unfortunate. And I'm like, well, did you talk to the person? And a lot of times it's just them venting and I get everybody needs a, a, a safe space to vent. But at the end of the day, a lot of these things could be eliminated. Like I said, there was something like oh I remember reading about this in the book let me go read it let me go refer back and I think hopefully as the books mature from the children's aspect I want to do something for the adults as well like we need a safe space as well we need and I'm not an expert but you know I have some therapist friends who deal with you know specialized in blended families and things like that like I want to pick their brains or even kind of maybe drop the nugget for them to maybe put out a book because there isn't anything out there and you know like our parents kind of figured it out and they kind of fell on you know good luck as well because we didn't have those issues but there are some blended families out there who are struggling like I know of them like I have friends who are doing so and it can be very drama filled but it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. and so that's what we're pushing for so but when you're talking about as these characters and the children and etc in the books grow up and they progress what's your like overarching goal when it comes to the book series which you kind of already touched on, but in general with like the book company and what you're trying to do. So ultimately, like, and it's so crazy. I was thinking about um, Fat Albert, actually, you know, <laughs> and, you know, there's some, we won't talk about Bill Cosby and all he got going on, but Fat Albert was a show. And I really think that, you know, and I watch Gracie's Corner. I love Miss Rachel and all these kind of shows that are coming out. You know, Miss Tab, Tabitha Brown has her stuff with kids. I would really like to make it like a, a, a like a show because I'm thinking like, where has there been an animated series where there's been a blended family? Like an animated series where kids can watch and like, it could be, you know, little nuggets, like not a little bit of Barney with some lesson learned. You know, I come from the hip hop Harry era and like all this other kind of stuff. So I want it to be where, you know, there's some issues and they solve it and mm-hmm. 
you know, greatness comes from it because everybody's not a book reader. Like we know, like we have a literacy issue in the country. So I, the books may not reach everyone, but if I can make a catchy video or something on YouTube or make it a series and maybe Nickelodeon, you know, we're writing in the stars or somebody will pick it up. Then, you know, it's in the televisions of every home in America. Everybody has a television. And so that would be like the ultimate goal to try to get it to that level. You should start with some YouTube stuff as we're talking about. <laughs> Have you ever seen the video of that kid that makes those toy reviews? I've seen a whole bunch of them because my okay. daughter has a, like they'll just sit on there and watch. So I've, I've listened by being like in the room, but There's I haven't actually kid. sat down and watched them. There's one kid who's been doing it for a few years when YouTube was first starting. Now he's making millions, like hundreds of millions of dollars because he has partnerships with all of the toy companies. Um, when it comes to the big, like your overall Pam's Den publishing, what are some of the other book ideas you want to come off? Because you've touched on the blended families and that series is going to progress. You want to go back to financing a little bit. Um, do you have any other topics that you're trying to touch on or... Yes, I do. So <laughs> the next passion project I'm working on actually is around young professionals. And I think we've had candid conversations about this um, in some of our breakout sessions. And I'm a part of a mentoring ring within Amazon and I have mentees and the things that, and I love Gen Z and I love the younger generation. And I think that there's just a lot of good that they're doing with them like taking a stand and doing the things that they're passionate about. And, but I do think that there is a gap in regards to going back to the foundation piece that maybe the millennial professionals can probably provide to them. So, you know, you have a lot of work experience. I have a lot of work experience. And so I think individuals like us have some nuggets to give to the younger generation that they won't have to go through some of the issues that we have, like a lot of networking there. I can't tell you how many times I talk to young professionals who don't have a mentor, who don't have anybody that they're talking to or anybody or a goal or somebody that they aspire to have that role and they haven't had a conversation with them. Like even if it's like a fireside chat or going to coffee or something like that. How do you find those mentors though? I mean, to be honest, I never, I've had mentors along the way, mm -hmm. but I never went out and sought out someone and was like, hey, can you be my mentor? Like how does, for those people in that category, how do they find that person, do you think? So I think it, it can be as easy as, so, and I use my example because I, I think I've kind of spoiled, but within Amazon, like everybody's at our fingertips. So we actually have like a mentoring website where we can go and put our interest in and they'll match you with somebody. And then you can set up a inter, like an introduction call and you kind of can go from there. Um, other companies that I've worked for, I just kind of like somebody who was ahead of me, I've mentioned that like in our one-on-one, -on -one, our conversation, like, hey, like, would you mind like being my mentor and having some conversations? Mm -hmm. And I think the book or the series will allude to how to do that because a lot of people don't know how to spark those conversations. And sometimes yeah. it's just sending an email or a text message or, hey, I worked on a project with you. Like, do you mind like looking over? Some? It may have started like, hey, just spot check my work. It, it doesn't have to be a full on mentorship. And I know a lot of times people kind of get afraid of that. Like, I don't want to be obligated to somebody. And sometimes it doesn't have to have that title. Hey, I just want to chat with you about this. Like, hey, my review is coming up. Like, how can I bring up the conversation about salary negotiate? Like little things like that, that doesn't necessarily be a mentor per se, but you need to have somebody 
on the inside that's kind of doing your work that you can kind of vet off of. And then I also suggest like, you need to have a mentor that's like complete opposite of you. Like, hey, am I missing the ballpark on this? Like, can you, maybe I'm looking at this from a very tunnel vision, you know, vantage point, like help me to see where I could be wrong or maybe I have too many exclamation points in this email. Like have somebody who <laughs> read you, like proofread your email before you send it out. So you don't come off being like super aggressive. Like you need those people on your team and they help you succeed. And I think that's what's missing in the younger professional world uh, amongst other things yeah. as it pertains to like the workforce. And everybody doesn't want to be, you know, an employee, but for those that do, there is things that you have to do between networking, going to those happy hours, like putting your, your yourself in positions to succeed. That's a part of the game. And if you don't have the tools or you don't have access to it, or you're not talking to anybody, you're going to find yourself very stagnant. And then you're upset. And then you're jumping from job to job and you're seeing the same results. And I want to prevent that. That's really interesting. It kind of reminds me of like, as with some of the entrepreneurs that I work with, when they're starting their business, it's like, I always tell them to find a business coach. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what you're just saying. Just yes. find someone that can keep yes. the blinders on. Your goal is this. Is that out of touch? Is that realistic? And then how mm-hmm. kind of help me get there? But I guess it's also tricky because with a mentor, with a business coach, you're paying them. Mm-hmm. With a mentor, you're necessarily not paying them. So it's like, you have to really kind of paint the picture like what's in it for them because that's gonna, yes it's not just I'm happy you said that yeah <laughs> like I'm happy you said that uh during COVID I actually called myself trying to be a talk show host and I had a lot of my friends because like I said I have a really really dope network and I know some of everybody and I've just been blessed to have really good connections and I had um one of my friends Amanda Spann and she's super dope so y'all google her um she was on the call and she was saying like when she's when she seeks out mentors like it's a transactional relationship. Like when she finds somebody that she wants to kind of mentor, cause she's kind of established, she's established. So um, what it, what's in it for them? Because sometimes it has to be, and I guess when you're starting out, I say, start small, like find a mentor, like within mm-hmm. your company, because a lot of them like promotions are sometimes like we have a principal hire and develop the best. So a lot of times to get promoted, like who, who have you fed into? Who have you kind of helped get to that next level? Those are things that people can kind of get promoted off of. Like, hey, I've developed this person and I've mentored yeah. this person. So you can hang your hat on that. But if you're an entrepreneur and stuff like that, you have to see like, hey, this is, it's almost like doing a startup almost like you're yeah. selling yourself. Like, why would you want to spend time to mentor me? And you have to be strategic. And so there are blueprints and things around that nature, but just start. And you only miss the shots you don't shoot. Like, again, I go back, your LinkedIn page that you're looking for, people who have been established for a year, <laughs> got X amount of ratings, X of I'm like, I don't have that. <laughs> like, I'm writing a book, but I'll say, you know what? I'm going to shoot my shot. And you could easily say, you know, Leslie, maybe next year, or, you know, we'll get these other people in. But you were like, hey, let's do it. What, what are you waiting for? Start the conversation. The worst they can say is no, or maybe they'll just entertain a one-time 30-minute conversation that you pay for coffee or you pay for the lunch or dinner. But sometimes you have to make those decisions because that could be the difference between your breakthrough. Yeah. No, I love that. That Recently, I've been talking about this quote that always comes up. It's like, I'm going to screw it up too. It's uh, imperfect action is better than perfect inac- perfect inaction. It's like when I started this podcast, I had no idea what I was doing. I just kind of started it and then I kind of got the better mic and then I got a better setup and then I got a light <laughs> and all that, like little by little, I kind of figured it out. And then same with the qualifications that you mentioned. It's like, 
some of that is just me trying to shoot my shots and what kind of people are going to actually put their name in the list if they meet mm -hmm. them. Great. But no, I, I love that. I would, that is something I think I would even read too, because I wish I had that back then. I don't think I would have, I, w I personally would have been too intimidated, I think, to reach out and ask someone, hey, can you be my mentor? Yeah. I mean, I'm really lucky again, when I go back and I look at the different stages and like chapters of my life, there's always been someone there that kind of, that was my mentor, Helps. just, yeah. just, it happened, which mm -hmm. I'm lucky that it happened that way. But I know so many people that it didn't have, that didn't happen for them in that it way. It doesn't happen for them. Yeah. And I'm hoping, so ideally speaking, the concept of the book is I want to just do a lot of interviews mm -hmm. and I want to turn those interviews into like just excerpts. So everybody kind of has a chapter. And then, like I said, I'm not a podcast person. I'm not. And so I'm really trying to figure out a way how I can avoid doing the podcast of this, but I do want to like record the interviews. Um, I've been trying to get my feet in with TikTok to kind of stay hip, you know, because there's everybody's on TikTok. So I'm like, maybe I put the maybe I put the little excerpts of some of the good like nuggets on TikTok and kind of start a series there. But I do want the interviews to be, you know, turned into a book where people can yeah. read through and have that kind of dialogue. But I've also noticed that some people may have follow up questions. And so how do I get them access to those individuals if they want to, you know, hey, maybe somebody that I've interviewed, you want them to be your mentor because they're in a line of field that you're interested in, or they said some really good things that you want to have access to. So I'm still trying to figure out where that is. Like I've kind of created like the letter or that I want to send out to invite mm -hmm. people for the interview. You are on my list. So just FYI, you probably will get one an invitation. <laughs> like, like I want to interview you. Like you have a very interesting work background and career. Like, how did you get there? Like, what are some of the things that you've learned along the way? And the, and the big thing is I want to talk about the mistakes. And I think a lot of times people don't talk about the mistakes that they've made in their career. Like, did you go in there for your promotion, demand the salary or, or was there a way yeah. that you could have kind of like done it the right, a different way or, you know, oh, I closed my door a lot and I kind of closed off and no one wanted to network with me. I hear a lot of people say that sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know. And you see people passing you by up the ranks. And you're like, I do 10 times the work that he does. What's happening? Have you been to a happy hour? Do they know you? Like, can they vouch for you when it's promo time? And they say, you know what? that Leslie person, like, she's always full of life. She's doing her work on time, or I don't really know her. I think she does a good job and no one can speak for you. And like, I've seen it because I've been in those rooms. And so I just, that's the information that I want to get out. Like you have to make yourself visible, even if you're not that person. Um, and, and these are for introverts. Like you don't have to be an extrovert. Like the, the, there's ways to still market yourself as an employee to advocate on your own behalf. Because at the end of the day, if you're not asking what for what you want, a company's <laughs> not gonna promote you and pay you more. Like yeah. they're not gonna say, hey, I got some extra budget. Let me give Leslie a raise just because. No, <laughs> you have to go and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I've done. This is why I deserve that money. And cause, and that's, I think my, I won't say grab cause that's a strong word. Like I have a lot of Gen Z people in my family and they're a lot of them, they're, they're like, hey, this is what I deserve. And I'm just like, you just graduated and you want six figures with, a, it took me a while, you know what I'm saying? Like that just, you don't graduate with a four-year degree with no internship and get six figures in yeah. nobody's world. Like it just doesn't happen like that. And if you are awarded that, like kudos to you, that's a blessing that you were able to do that, unless you're like in the medical field and things like that. But even then you're going to grad school, you're doing like residencies, like there's things that you're doing to get to that point, but there's work to be done. Um, and it's not all gift wrapped to you. And, and I'm trying to make the, make the journey a little bit easier, not as bumpy, I'll say that. 
the hard-hitting questions. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because at the end of the day, it's I from the conversations we have had, the questions that you ask are very, very direct in a good way. I don't mean that in like in the connotative, mm -hmm. like in the negative way, but it's sort of like the question someone posted on Facebook and it's like another entrepreneur. If you hired a salesperson, would if they took if they did exactly what you're doing now and that's like your salesperson, would you still keep them or would you fire them? And it's just like that direct self-awareness, like, huh, yep. am I doing exactly what I would want someone else to do for me? It's, I'm telling you, I, and I tell I like so I'm a bar raiser with Amazon. So I interview a lot of people every day. And our kind of model is like we especially if you're external, we are hiring people that are better than 50% of what we currently have. So like when we go down and we debate on a candidate, we say, how are they better? If you have, are they better than 50% of the people that's on your team right now? Like if everybody was to quit, you would go to bat for this person and bring them in and have them replace 50% of your team. And that's a hard question. That, like that's a reflective question. Like, uh, do you want to bet on that person? And sometimes it is, sometimes you do have to give people a chance. I will say that. Um, but that's something like, how do I advocate for myself to prove my, like, you need me. Like I'm bringing this value to your team and how to market yourself. Cause a lot of times it's what you say, your resume, what your resume looks like. Like, and a lot of times people, I've seen a lot of resumes and we got to go back to the drawing, but that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but resumes are, <laughs> the, the, resumes need some work. Just if you're, look, redo your resume. That's, if you take nothing else, redo your resume, look at it, let somebody else look at it. But I see a lot of resumes and I'm just like, whoa, like we have some work to do. And a lot of them are college, college students. And like, do they have resume writing classes for college students? Like who's looking at their resume? And so that's the sort of stuff like, hey, the little nuggets. And that's who I'm targeting with this, this young professional thing. Like yeah. these are like newly graduated college students, probably up until probably age 25, 26. So at that point, I think that's where they're still kind of navigating and, and understanding where, you know, lateral moves to other companies isn't a bad thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people don't want to move and they want to start over, but you could be doing the same job at another company and they're going to pay you what you're worth because your other company is kind of taking you for granted. Like market yourself, like yeah. moving is not, and I know in our older generation, I've moved a lot. My parents are like, wow, you need to stay at that job. Like you just got that job because that's their mindset. But nowadays, like, no, if, if I'm not getting anything out of this transact, mm -hmm. this relationship anymore, like I'm going to move to another company and I encourage that, but a lot of people are scared. Like yeah. they are scared. Like I talk about this thing called higher guilt. A lot of people have higher guilt. Like, oh, they gave me the opportunity. I need to stay with them. And they're so nice. I'm like, yeah, but you're barely paying your rent. <laughs> like, and people are like reaching out on LinkedIn to hire you. Like go entertain the interview and see what's out there. But you got to take that step. Or even if you do move laterally and you earn less, it could be like a move, step yep. over, step back. And then- yep shoot up. Absolutely. That's really interesting. But Leslie, we're hitting up on the hour here. Um, if I'm going to put all the information that you gave me to, so people can reach out to you, but for those listening, where's the best way and how can people reach out to you if they want to learn more about your books, the possible podcast that you could be coming out with? I know you said you don't <laughs> want to do it, but we'll talk after and I'll convince you otherwise. <laughs> so yeah, so you can find me at least as it pertains to the books on Instagram at Camsden underscore pub. So that's C-A-M-S-D-E-N underscore pub, P-U-B. You can also follow me on my personal page, which is less is more, L-E-S-I-Z-M-O-R-E 88. 
And you can also shoot me an email and all that stuff is camsdenpublishing at gmail.com. But Andrew will have all the other information. I'm not hard to find. I'm on LinkedIn as well. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie. I enjoyed this a ton. Yes, me too. Thank you. Thank you.